friends, we're so glad that you're here with us today. Today is Good Friday. Why would we call today Good Friday? Well, today is Good Friday for a very specific set of reasons. And uh, once I get my computer open, uh, I'm going to share with you about, and we've got a PowerPoint to help us. Thanks, guys. Uh, I'm going to talk to you today about final words the final words of Jesus, the last seven sayings of Christ. But before I get to them, I want to tell you about um, a few other people. Who's heard of a lady called Harriet Tubman? Underground railway, freeing slaves, Harriet Tubman. Her family and friends gathered around her in 1913 and, uh, and she sang and they sang together, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. And her last words heard were, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Leonardo da Vinci, famous uh, uh, artist and, and, and painter and sculptor, uh, he was overtly modest and he said, if I have offended God and mankind because my work did not quite reach the quality it should have, I'm sorry. This is the guy that painted the Mona Lisa, right? Talk about modesty. Sir Isaac Newton died. He was humble. He said, I don't know what I may seem to the world, but to myself, I seem to have been only like a little boy playing on the seashore and diverting myself now and then by finding a smoother pebble or a prettier shell than the ordinary whilst the great ocean of truth lay undiscovered before me. Johnny Ace, a rhythm and blues singer back in 1954, was playing with a pistol during a concert. His last words were, I'll show you that it won't shoot. Murderer James, uh, James W. Rogers uh, was put in front of a firing squad and said, do you have any last words? He said, yes, could you bring me a bulletproof vest? Nathan Hale, convicted of espionage in 1776, I only regret that I have but one life to give for my country. Comedian Spike Milligan, you might have heard this one. Next slide, guys, here we go. I told you I was sick. Amy Winehouse. I don't want to die. Mozart is recorded as saying, I feel something that is not of this earth. Steve Jobs, according to his sister, as he lay dying, his last breath was, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And C.W. Fields, a man who had no time for God on his deathbed, was found reading a Bible and someone said, what are you doing? You've never had time for that book. He said, I'm looking for a loophole. (laughs) So we come to the final words of Jesus. But it wouldn't be complete without referring to our own Ned Kelly, who allegedly said, such is life. This is what happens. This is what happens. The final words of Jesus have been studied and dissected by people brighter and better than me. But I thought it I thought it important for us to draw our attention back to these final words of our, of our Savior, Jesus, as he hung on the cross because they connect us with his, his otherness, that he's completely transcendent to humanity, that in the midst of all that is going on, he seems so altogether different to us and yet strangely similar as well. Strangely similar. You see, they've noted that the seven sayings of Christ on the cross correlate to basic human need. All of our need as human beings 
relate to these seven sayings. I'm not sure if you've ever noticed that. The seven sayings of Jesus. He not only empathizes, he understands this is this transaction between the divine and the earthly, between the eternal and the temporal. Number one, the first saying recorded of Jesus on the cross is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This speaks to Jesus standing in our place or understanding or empathizing or sympathizing, recognizing that humanity has got tremendous emotional need. And so Jesus stands as the substitute for us and brings about hope and healing in our emotional distress. There's people here today, and I'm sure those that are listening and watching this broadcast can identify with the sentiment that Jesus is expressing here on the cross. Have you ever felt abandoned? Have you ever felt betrayed? Have you ever felt let down? Have you ever felt deserted? Has anyone ever turned their back on you? Jesus knows what that feeling is like. This is all part of the redemption process that Christ is purchasing for us hope, health, and healing. Jesus understands our emotional needs. While Jesus is completely other to us, there is something strangely familiar. He is both God and human, the one in the the, the, the both in, in the one, the, 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 the infinite in the finite. And we can't grasp this. We can't understand this. We try to explain it in our English vocabulary, but there is no vocabulary on the planet that can explain this person dying on the cross. Number two, of course, that first saying is Jesus quoting from Psalm 22. Those of you doing study notes, you can take that down, look at that later. Number two, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Now, this is Jesus' understanding, revealing he understands our need for forgiveness. Those of you that are thinking a little more deeply go, but didn't Jesus forgive sins himself? Isn't that what irked the Pharisees and the scribes and the rabbis? Isn't that what upset the religious leaders of the day? Who does he think he is? Only God's got the power to forgive sins. But in this moment, in this moment, Jesus turns to the Father and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Something's happening. Something's going on right now. And they haven't got a clue of the role that they are playing. But don't hold it to their account. If you and I, not if, but when, you and I are being mistreated by somebody, forgiveness is often the last thing that comes to mind and the last thing that comes out of our mouth. Am I right? I mean, just put yourself in traffic for a moment and someone cuts you off. You don't go, oh, Father, bless them. <laughs> that's, that's not how you respond. And yet, when this grape is being crushed, when this petal is being bruised, this is what comes out of our Saviour. In these six hours, these seven statements are coming forth from the mouth and the heart of our Saviour, Jesus. He knows that our greatest need is for forgiveness, is for redemption. Jesus understands our need to give forgiveness and to receive forgiveness. He's got the power to help you in that part of your life as well. Uh, number three. Number three. I tell you the truth today. Interesting where you put that comma, isn't it? 
All our English translations put it, I tell you the truth, comma, today you'll be with me in paradise. But we know that Jesus didn't go straight to paradise. It's just where we place the comma. So if you've got a problem with the Bible, sometimes it's just got to think about it. That comma is our translation. It's not in the Greek language. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you the truth today. You are going to be with me in paradise. Jesus understands our need for redemption. Who's he speaking to? Well, there are two thieves on the cross beside Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. One rails and hurls accusation and threats and insults at Jesus, but one recognizes his need. What could a dying man possibly offer another dying man? But in this moment, revelation dawns in a penitent thief's heart. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What? What kingdom could a dying man offer? That's revelation right there. That's redemption right there. This guy saw beyond the moment of time and he saw Jesus for who he truly was. Isn't it astonishing that the soldiers at his feet, that the crowd who jeered, that the other thief on the other side are all looking at the same thing, but one sees salvation. One just sees nothing. So Jesus says, I'm telling you the truth today. You will be with me in paradise. Every human being longs for a shot, longs for a shot at redemption. We all want the chance to make it right, to set it right. Jesus understands that. He's dying in our place to give us a second chance to pay the price in full for us to have a brand new day. Can I get a witness from somebody here in the name of Jesus? Number four. Jesus understands our need for family. Dying on the cross, hanging in agony that we try to understand, but we can't. We, we're not there. Jesus is not just physically experiencing the torture on his body. He's feeling the emotional disconnection from the eternal. He's feeling the weight of the sin of the world resting on his life. And Jesus is still thinking about his mum. What an astonishing thing that there at the foot of the cross, his mother has pressed through and she's there at the foot of the cross. And there is John, the beloved disciple, the one that Jesus loved. He's perhaps the youngest disciple. And where is James, Jesus' half-brother? He's not there, but John is there. He's in the right place at the right time to receive the commission to care for Mary, the mother of Jesus. In the midst of his agony, Jesus is still thinking about our need for family. You know, one of the greatest joys in our life is the joy that comes from a successful marriage and a happy family. And if anyone's ever experienced that right now, they could say amen if they wanted to, just, just if they wanted to, you know. But one of the greatest pains, one of the deepest anguishes of the human heart is a divided and a dysfunctional family. Have we seen that? Have we seen that? So Jesus is saying, I understand the need. There's more than just something spiritual that's happening here. There's something relational going on here. I'm coming to bring healing and restoration. And I've got a word for somebody today. The one that you need family, family connection to might not be biological. God might minister that need of fatherhood to you through another person. He might minister that, that need of motherhood to you through another person. He might minister that need of that child and parent relationship because there's a void in every one of us that Jesus knows needs to be filled. 
Praise God, we've been adopted into his family. So that we are now the family of God. Isn't that cool? So back in the old days, when dinosaurs ruled the earth, you'd hear kids in Pentecostal churches referring to an older lady as auntie. Can I get a witness here this morning? To an older man as uncle, which now has got kind of questionable connotations, so we don't do that anymore. But the innocence of that day is not something we should brush aside. But the beauty of that moment, we should seek to foster and kindle and go, there ought to be a reverence and there ought to be a relationship between us as community. Yeah? Not let our guard down, protect our children, because we know there are iffy things happening in our world. But we ought not to throw everything out. We ought to strengthen those bonds of friendship and relationship. Amen? God sets the lonely into families. And sometimes the greatest family, the most healthy family you're going to experience is the church. That's why we've got to do it well. That's why we've got to love each other. Be kind and patient and tolerant with one another because that's the heart of Jesus towards us. Woman, dear woman, here is your son. And another stands in Jesus' place. Jesus understands our need for family. Maybe you're here today and there's grief in your heart because you've lost a loved one. It isn't the same when somebody comes in. It isn't the same, but it, it, it is. It is a grace. It is a help. It is a, it's a nurturing that can be found. And that's a really precious thing. Let's not throw that away and say, I've lost forever. Number five, I'm not sure I've quite articulated that as well as I wanted to, but I think you've got the picture. Number five, because you're clever people. Number five, Jesus shows us his humanity and reveals to us he understands our physical needs. Here is Jesus again quoting from Psalm 69, expressing his physical dependence, that he's not just hanging there on the cross, bleeding out for the sins of the world, for the healing of the nations, but that Jesus is actually going through physically tremendous anguish tremendous agony and we don't we we can't we can't explain it we can't grasp it we can't articulate it but in the midst of all what's happening here Jesus is identifying and understanding human needs he understands hunger is it fair that we have got food we throw in the bin when there are children in the world today that are going to not have a meal is that fair? Is that right? Does our Savior identify with those who have nothing? Is he the one who is the man of sorrows that we hid our face from? We said we don't, he's marred more than any man. We, we don't recognize him. We're not drawn to his natural beauty. Jesus said, I'm, I'm thirsty. He's expressing and explaining his understanding, his connection to the human condition that we all go through our physical needs are being dealt with on the cross number six we've shared about this phrase just recently in our communion message this this great declaration of jesus as he reaches the end of his life at the end of his suffering he 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 with a loud voice calls out and says it's finished it's finished you know dying men don't often shout they usually just pass away with a rasp or a whisper but not our Savior. And that's what points so strongly to Jesus being more than a man dying on a cross 
because some people didn't like him. He said it's finished, it's completed, it's paid in full, it's accomplished, the debt has been squared. I just so love that. I just so love that. But Jesus, with a loud voice, shouted out and declared, you see, John wrote and, and, and recorded for us Jesus' words. He says, no one takes my life from me. Don't misunderstand. It wasn't the, the, the jealous Jews that got Jesus killed. It wasn't the angry Romans that were afraid of, of some sort of political or national uprising. No, John recorded it like this. He said, I have the power to lay down my life and I have the power to take it up again. No one takes my life from me. That's what makes Jesus completely other to the human condition. All of us are born and die. But Jesus was born to die. So when it came to the end, he was able to say, it is finished. It's completed. It's done. And then Luke, you say, David, why aren't these statements all in order in each of the, in each of the, of, of the Gospels, in, in each of the Testaments? Why aren't they all there? We have to remember that each author was recording what he felt was important for his audience. So as we correlate these things, it would be an anomaly if they all said exactly the same thing in exactly the same order. Because when you and I witness an accident, we don't see the same thing and it doesn't process in our mind in the same way. That's why we take testimony to collaborate the information. Yeah, And so that's what's happening with these these biographers, they're writing about these accounts of Jesus. But Luke adds this little line. He says, Jesus said this and then he breathed his last. It's almost like he wants us to know, I was right there. I got the word. I, this was it. You know, there might be other things happening, but this was the end. And the last is number seven. Jesus understands our need for completion for sure. But number seven, Jesus understands our need for faith. Jesus understands our need for faith. Into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. Well, what is faith? Faith is that wonderful condition of the soul that has an assurance and a confidence, a certainty that is beyond the tangible. Beyond the tangible. How can you commit your spirit, something that's intangible, into the hands of a being you can't see? That's faith. Faith is not some giant leap into the dark. Jesus never said, I'm the great darkness that comes into the world. He said, I'm the great light. This was, this was faith. This was refined trust. This was Jesus saying, I know who you are, Father. And again, he's quoting from, from Psalm 31. And he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. All of us have need for faith, to believe. And everybody has faith. You've got a conviction in your heart about things you don't have all the facts on. But you believe it. You believe that Holden's are better than Ford's. You're wrong, but you believe it. You believe that Toyota Land Cruisers are better than Nissan Patrols. You believe it. You don't have all the facts, but you believe it. Sometimes we believe it in jest. We believe that the Rabbitohs are better than the Broncos. We haven't got all the facts. But we believe there's something intangible in which we hang our confidence, our, our hope. We want it to be true. Jesus is more than wishing here. He's expressing his ultimate conviction 
in the one with whom he has walked all of his life. The father he met on the mountainside before he'd come down and do the miracles. The father he'd meet in the cold dawn hours before he'd come and sit with the crowds and do the teaching. That father that he's walked with, that he taught his disciples to pray to. Now at the very end, this act of faith. Can I see it? No. But I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. And every human being needs to exercise faith as they direct it towards. And the only person that's worthy of our faith is God. You know, for two millennia almost, We've gathered together and now at best count there's more than 2 billion people on the planet who this weekend or a weekend close to now are going to come together to remember, to recall, to be reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. A true historical figure that was more than a man and proved that he was because no one else has got the power to lay down their life and to take it back up again. We gathered together not to mourn the death of an innocent, but to celebrate the victory of a champion. Today is not a day of sorrow alone. Today is an awesome declaration that death has got no sting. That Jesus walked to the cross with absolute confidence that, Father, I can trust you with everything I am and all that I have. I don't need to get even. Legions of angels have got their hand on the hilt of a sword. But they're not called to war. Because he went there freely and he took my place. And he took your place. And that's why this need of ours for faith in something that transcends time, culture, and the moment is enduring. It lasts because this has got significance. It's not just a group of people who are reminiscing about some wonderful moment in their childhood. This speaks life year after year after year after year after year after year after year. And from grandfather to son, to, to grandson and to great-grandson, these truths and these, this faith is being passed. Why? Because it was real today as it was back then. So with these words, I want to encourage you today that we're not here gathering to celebrate a moment in the past alone. We're here to celebrate an ever-living, present Savior who died once and for all, for all mankind, and for all time. We can't add anything to it, and we can't take anything away from it. Not all the skepticism, not all the liberal theologians, not all the people who say it's not true, no one can take away from the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And if you turn your heart towards Him, you'll find He's as true a Savior for you as He has been for billions of others. Let me encourage you with those words this morning. Our worship team are going to return, and I'm going to turn our attention to the emblems that you have in your hand this morning. If you didn't receive them on your way in the door, if you give us a quick wave, one of our amazing team, looks like it's Luca this morning, going to get to you some emblems. So if you didn't, over this far side, please, Luca. Oh, Theo, good on you, champion. 
brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Thanks for your help. You're going to make a great usher, Theo, a deacon, I reckon. About another two years, we'll make you deacon of this church. Over on this far side, we've got some good-looking people that need some communion emblems. That's wonderful. Thank you, Theo. In John chapter 1, a Baptist. They had him back then too. Was in the River Jordan. Many thought he was the Christ. Many thought he was Messiah. Many thought something's stirring, something's happening. 400 years of silence from heaven. And now a man is proclaiming a kingdom. Now a man is calling us back to God. Now someone is talking about something that's not a national uprising. It's not violent in nature. It's surrender. It's surrender. Come and be baptized. Come and deal with your own stuff. That's what John was saying. Come and get your heart right with God. And one day while John was baptizing, it was astonishing the crowds that came out to him. One author said, all of Jerusalem and Judea. We don't need to assume that that's literal. It was like he was saying, so many people were there. And this one day in the midst of the crowds of people, thousands of people perhaps are there. John pauses and he goes, look, can you see it? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, that's what you've got to love about Jesus. It's not that he came to show you that you were a sinner, but he came to deal with the penalty and the power of sin in our life. We all know we've stuffed up. We all know we're broken. We all see the consequence of the frailty of humanity. Yeah? John didn't say, here comes the one who's going to get you for your sins. He said, behold, look again. Look with joy-filled eyes again. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Aren't you grateful for that, family? Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad he's not putting in a bottle to remind you about it later? Who takes away the sin of the world. That's what Good Friday is about. That, that's good news. That's the gospel right there. That Jesus didn't come to remind us about our sin, but to deal with our sin. And so this little wafer speaks to us of the broken body of Jesus. Let's stand together in His presence. Let's stand in joy. Let's stand in victory. Let's stand in hope this morning. Father, I thank You for the cross of Jesus Christ. I thank You for what it symbolizes and what it represents. To us, in that phrase, we're not talking about wood. We're talking about a wounding. We're not talking about nails. We're talking about a nourishing. We're not talking about thorns. We're talking about a throne. That God sent His Son, His only beloved Son, into the world. 
to save us. Let's eat in remembrance of his broken body. And then we come to the cup of juice that reminds us of his life's blood poured out, shed, not spilled as if by accident, but given freely. Droplets of life flowing down. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ, your Son, that cleanses us from all unrighteousness, from our unrighteousness, and cleanses us from the unrighteous acts of others. Today, we again find freedom because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us. Go ahead, friends. Let's drink in remembrance of Him. So, Lord, with grateful hearts and devotion-filled lives, what other response could we have but gratitude? What other act could we bring but worship? We just worship you today and celebrate and thank you that you're not a memory from the past, but that you are an ever-present help in our time of need. I thank you that, Lord, as in, even as you heal bodies today, you forgive sins today. You restore relationships. You bring healing to hearts and homes. You bring redemption and forgiveness to those of us who are caught and snared in the tangles and entrapments of sin and addiction. I thank you for the truth. And as we know the truth, there's a freedom that comes that sets us apart and releases us into the life and the destiny that you have for us. So Father, now let your peace and your joy and your blessing rest upon your people in the wonderful name of Jesus. Somebody said, Amen. Family and friends, go in peace. We're going to sing a song as we close this morning. Let's go with a shout of joy. Have a wonderful weekend. Happy Easter, and we'll see you on Sunday. God bless you.